If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter number 20. Genesis 20 this morning in your Bibles. Most everyone knows the name of Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra was a legendary baseball player. He was an 18-time All-Star. He appeared in 14 World Series as a member of the New York Yankees, winning 10 of those championships, the most of any league, any major league baseball player in history. Yogi later became a coach and a manager. He was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1972. He passed away in 2015 at the age of, of 90. Gentlemen, if you could turn on those screens there so that I can see what's projected behind me. Even if you never follow baseball, you know the name of Yogi Berra because of his yogiisms. He had witty and memorable statements that perhaps you're familiar with. For example, Yogi Berra once said, when you come to a fork in the road, he said, take it. Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. Yogi Berra said, never answer an anonymous letter. Think about that for a minute. (laughs) Yogi Berra said, the future ain't what it used to be. But perhaps most familiar to us is of of the Yogi Berra-isms, or Yogi-isms, is what he said. He said, it's like deja vu all over again. Deja vu all over again. And the reality is that many times our Christian lives feel like it's deja vu all over again. I've written there at the top of your notes, we stumble and trip and fall in our Christian walk over and over again. Oh, we learn our lesson and we vow to never let it happen again, but it's the same temptation, the same sin, the same walking in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit. You might say that we are repeat offenders in the walk of faith. That was the Apostle Paul's testimony when he lamented, Oh, wretched man that I am. And that was also Father Abraham's story. It was in Genesis 12 that Abraham went down to Egypt And there he lied to the Pharaoh about his wife, Sarah, saying that she was his sister. And now here again in Genesis 20, Father Abraham goes down to Gerar and he lied to King Abimelech about his wife, Sarah, saying that she was his sister. Folks, it's it's like deja vu all over again. Let's pause briefly for prayer and then we'll look at Genesis 20. Let's pray. God in heaven, we ask that you would go before us now as we open your holy word. As we read it, we study it. Lord, we seek to make application to our lives. Lord, we recognize the repeated failures of great men of faith throughout the centuries. Lord, we're acutely aware of our own repeated offenses and failures as we walk in the flesh and not in the spirits and we And we fail over and over again. I pray that you would encourage us this morning because of this study. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've structured my message this morning from Genesis 20 around three simple questions that Abraham should have asked himself that we can certainly ask ourselves as we walk by faith. And these are questions that are are so simple, but yet I would offer them to you. Number one, one, I would give, give you the question, where... Am I 
going. Ask yourself, where am I going? Genesis 20, verse number one, and Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Genesis 13 is where Abraham began living there. The there in verse number one, Abraham journeyed from there. There is Hebron in Genesis 13. Genesis 13, verse number 18. And I think we've lost the projection, so never mind that. We will uh, we'll just go with the Bible. How about that? We're just going to use the Bible this morning. <laughs> never mind the technology. It was in Genesis 13, verse number 18. The Bible says that Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre, which is in Hebron. In Genesis 13, Abraham is in Hebron, and he built an altar to the Lord there. In Genesis 14, verse 13, Abraham was still there. In Genesis 18, verse number 1, Abraham was still there. For years, Abraham lived there in Hebron, which means fellowship. It was there that Abraham worshipped God. It was there that God met with Abraham. And so without making too much of any specific place or the meaning of that place, I would observe that here now in Genesis 20 verse 1, Abraham is moving from there. He's on the move, moving away from the place of fellowship with God, moving away from Hebron. We're not told why Abraham was on the move, but he was. And he took the highway south from there to Gerar, the country of the Philistines, on the same road that he had once taken he had once taken before when he went down to Egypt. Where was he going? Never mind the names of the places there in verse number one. But rather notice the description of the place where he was going in verse number 11. In verse 11, and Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will kill me on account of my, my wife. Folks, Abraham was going to a place where he knew The fear of God was not. Abraham, why are you going there? Why would anyone go there? To the place in verse 11 where there was no fear of God. But once again, Abraham played the same old, same old, deja vu all over again game in claiming that Sarah was his wife. Look at verse 20. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister, And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, I find it curious here. Sarah is 99 years old. And by her own confession, back in chapter 18, verse 13, she is very old. Unless God had done an extreme makeover on Sarah by restoring her youth in preparation for the birth of Isaac, it's hard to believe that the king of Gerar would have picked Sarah out of Abraham's entourage to be one of his wives. Not because Sarah was not beautiful, the Bible tells us she was beautiful, but because she was beyond the age of childbearing. Her her age would have eliminated her from the, the king's mind as one who could bear children for him. And so I would ask, where are you going as you walk by faith? Ask yourself, where am I going? It's not wrong to be on the move. In fact, many times we ought to be on the move if we are following the Lord's leading. Nonetheless, ask yourself the question all the same. And if the answer is what Abraham acknowledged in verse 11, I'm going to a place where there is no fear of God there, then prepare yourself to keep walking by faith in a difficult place. 
It's possible to do. But not only do you ask yourself, where am I going? Secondly, ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing? Look at verse number three. Genesis 20, verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the, women whom you, the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? So you're going to kill me, but how about Abraham and, and his people? Did he, Abraham, not say to me, she is my sister? And she even, she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Now, For the first time in the scripture, we have the designation of a prophet in verse number seven. God told Abraham, I'm sorry, God told Abimelech that Abraham was a prophet. Abimelech had no idea. Why did Abimelech have no idea that Abraham was a prophet? Well, because Abraham never told him. And there was no evidence of that. In fact, I would suggest that Abraham was pretending, letter A, Abraham was pretending to not be a prophet. Have you ever tried to conceal your identity as a Christian, one who fears God, as as one who is a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ? You say, well, pastor, it's just better if they don't know who I am. It's just better if my coworkers, perhaps my neighbors, if if they don't know that I, what I, what I believe. It's not like I'm lying, okay? I'm just not volunteering to tell them who I am. It's better that way. Really? What if Abraham would have introduced himself? Hello, King Abimelech. My name is Abraham. I'm a prophet of God. Hello, King Abimelech. My name is Abraham. I'm one who fears and follows Yahweh. Hello, King Abimelech. My name is Abraham. I'm a friend of God. This is my wife, Sarah. What if Abraham would have said, I'm a spokesperson for Yahweh. Now, Abimelech may have responded positively or negatively. Abimelech could have responded, this is a man of God, let's heed what he says, for he has the words of God. Or Abimelech might have responded, this is a man of God, let's kill him. But Abimelech never suspected or expected that Abraham would be a prophet of God, for Abraham not only lied about Sarah's identity, but he concealed his own And so God had to intervene, as God often does. And God appeared to Abimelech in a dream. He informed Abimelech that Abraham was a prophet, verse number 7. He warned Abimelech against taking Sarah as his wife. You'll notice if you're looking there at verse 3, God's standards for moral purity in, in marriage are the same, whether in the patriarchal age or under the law or in a day of grace. To take another man's wife is a sin worthy of death in God's moral economy. Look at verses 4 and 5. Abimelech defended himself in the innocence of his heart, in the innocence of his hands. Abimelech even asked God if God was prepared to judge Abraham and Sarah and the future of Israel for their culpability in this matter. And then in verses 6 and 7, if you're looking there, God answered Abimelech with instructions to restore Sarah 
to Abraham. And I assure you that Abimelech would follow those instructions, not because he loved righteousness, but because he feared retribution. Now, there's a bit of irony there. In verse 11, Abraham's excuse for lying about Sarah's identity was surely the fear of God is not in this place. That was Abraham's conclusion. But folks, Abraham didn't need to worry about others' fear of God. Abraham needed to fear God himself. And I submit to you that a proper fear of God would have driven Abraham to obey God and trust God no matter the circumstances. But as it turned out, Abimelech is the one who had the fear of God and Abraham didn't because God appeared to Abimelech and informed Abimelech of the circumstance. And Abimelech was furious and he demanded an explanation from Abraham. This is a a bit reminiscent of the the mariner's demands when Jonah was on the, the ship, the boat in the Mediterranean Sea in the midst of the storm. But look at verse number eight. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing and the men were very much afraid. There is the fear of God. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? Or the question I'm asking, what am I doing? Is the question. What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. So don't only ask yourself, where am I going? Ask yourself, what am I doing? Verse number 10. Then Abimelech said, what have you done? What did you have in view that you have done this thing? That's what Abimelech is asking Abram. What what are you doing? What are you thinking? What was the expected outcome of this? And so Abraham has to answer the question, verse 11. And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. Well, of course the fear of God wasn't in this place up to this point because God had not revealed himself to these people. But Abraham the prophet could have introduced them to Yahweh, but he didn't. So Yahweh had to introduce himself to them. And thus the fear of God, and and they will kill me on account of my wife, is Abraham's excuse in verse 11, verse 12. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Okay, so she's my half-sister. So it it was kind of half true. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, save me, he is my brother. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable that Abraham would sell out his own wife in order to save his skin. There are a number of elements here in this narrative I, I think that deserve our attention and they can serve as, as subpoints here. First, Abraham was distrustful. Abraham's initial sin here is his lack of faith or trust in God's care for him. And this was his reasoning. Follow this in verse 11. Because I can't trust the people, King Abimelech, neither can I trust God. This is the very same distrust that Abraham had 25 years earlier when he went down to Egypt. And folks, I would submit that Abraham's distrust or his lack of faith in God's care for him was an epic fail. It followed so soon after Genesis 17 and 18 when God promised again, renewing the covenant, God promised to Abraham and Sarah that she would become pregnant and bear a son within a year. And of course, there are 
good reasons to not trust people. Many people are not trustworthy, but we can always trust God to overrule in the case of those other people. Abraham was distrustful. Secondly, Abraham was dishonest. He was dishonest, and that was his second sin. He lied. And folks, there are a few things that unsaved people despise more in saved people than dishonesty or a lack of integrity. Unbelievers scorn that in believers. Abraham lied to the king. Well, it wasn't really a lie, right? It was kind of a half lie or a half truth because Sarah was Abraham's stepsister. They shared a common father according to verse number 12. However, the the full truth was that Sarah was his wife and Abraham was dealing in technicalities, not in truthfulness. So folks, ask, ask yourself, what am I doing? What are we doing when we are dishonest? Under what circumstances does lying conform with the character of God and demonstrate any faith in God? What are you doing? Abraham was dishonest. Third, Abraham was disgraceful. Disgraceful. And third, Abraham sinned against God in verse 13 by blaming God for causing him to wander from his father's house. Remember when God called Abraham out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees? I I cite Genesis 12. But folks, it is disgraceful to blame God for where we are and what we're doing. It's the very same thing that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden in blaming Eve said, the serpent made me do it. Adam said, the woman who you gave me, God, made me do it. It was the end of King Saul who tried to justify his disobedience in sparing the king and the sheep. You remember, after defeating the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, he made excuses. It's a disgrace. Where is the personal responsibility for our own sin? Ask yourself, what am I doing What am I doing in trying to cover this up, conceal this matter? What am I doing in lying about it? Abraham was distrustful. He was dishonest. He was disgraceful. Look at verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants, gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I've given your brother or your husband... (laughs) A thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children. I I scribbled down some observations about Abimelech because of what Abraham did. Abimelech did not receive Abraham as a prophet. Abimelech never asked Abraham to pray for him, although God told Abimelech that Abraham's prayer would heal him, as was the case. Abimelech did not invite Abraham to instruct him in righteousness. Abimelech did not inquire about Abraham's God. Abimelech washed his hands of the whole situation, and in short, Abimelech paid them off. He said, you know what, here's some money, there's some land, just go live by yourself. It's a sad story. It's deja vu all over again. But 
in the midst of Abraham's failure, there, there is something that's noteworthy here. There's an exception here at the end that I, I just read of there in verse 17. Rather than resenting Abimelech for all that happened, Abraham inwardly acknowledged, he, he knew that there was nobody to blame but himself. And though, although he had lost really all opportunity to preach to Abimelech and the people of Gerar, he could at least pray for them. And so he did. He interceded for them. And that's what I would say is praying as a priest. Abraham praying as a priest. A, a priest is one who appeals to God on behalf of men. And that's what Abraham did in the end. He pretended not to be a prophet. What a failure. But he did intercede on behalf of Abimelech in the end. There, in, As God said in verse 7, but in verse 17 I read... And in verse 18, God healed Abimelech and his household so that they could bear children. Now, I want to cheat ahead a bit and give you a teaser. Turn to chapter 26. Chapter 26 is just a few pages away. And let me quickly read for you this brief narrative and tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. Genesis 26, there was famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac, Abraham's son Isaac, went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Sound familiar? Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will go with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, statutes, and laws. So Isaac dwelt where? In Gerar. Sound familiar? And the men of the place asked Isaac about his wife, and he said, she is my sister? Folks, are you kidding me? For he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when there had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? What am I doing? Folks, we need to ask ourselves in our walk of faith, where am I going? And what am I doing? Why am I going to that place where the fear of God is not? And when I get there, what am I doing as a covert Christian, as a hypocrite, walking in the flesh and not by faith? It's deja vu all over again. And I warned us early on in our study of Genesis and the biography of Abraham that there would be ups and downs like a roller coaster. And many times when I read some of the failures of these great men of faith, I wonder how in the world they could ever be named in Hebrews 11, the, the great hall of faith, that chapter of faith. Why does scripture uphold these uh, men for who they were? But in my questioning of Abraham's merits, I'm driven back to God. 
For I propose to you that Genesis 20, the narrative, tells us as much about God as it does about Abraham. And so rather than asking the anthropocentric questions about man, where am I going? What am I doing? Ask this question, who is God? Who is God? And I believe there's some points that can comfort us. First, the righteousness of God. Understand that Abraham's righteousness was not a works righteousness. God imputed his own righteousness to Abraham for initial faith and enduring faith in spite of his failures. The book of Galatians tells us that we are saved by faith and also sanctified by faith. That is, we cannot earn our salvation by works. We cannot retain our salvation by works. But our salvation and our sanctification is always a matter of the righteousness of God imputed to us. You say, Pastor Matt, I'm a terrible Christian. I fail all the time. I sin every day. I sin in the same way every day. Me too. It's a good thing that my salvation is not dependent upon my own righteousness, but the righteousness of God given to me. Now, that's not to say that it's okay to walk in the flesh. It's not okay to sin. It's not okay to wink at sin or backslide. There are painful consequences to our sin. But know that Abraham, as God's elect chosen prophet, although a man with feet of clay, was declared righteous because of God's righteousness and not his, his own. The righteousness of God. How about this? The grace of God. Think with me of the grace of God. The the grace of God is all over the place in Genesis 20. Sometimes we, we accept the notion that God's grace is a New Testament thing, but all of the good gifts in Abraham's life were gifts of God's grace, not the reward of his works. Of course, Abraham was given possessions and a position and a promised son, yet all of these things were God's grace, God's grace toward Abimelech. But God will later tell Abraham's descendants, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people for you are the least of all the peoples but because the Lord loves you. Folks, it is a good thing that God loves you because if he didn't love us as he does, he would dump us like a bad habit in a heartbeat. The grace of God. How about this? The faithfulness of God. God's covenant with Abraham was not because of Abraham. God's promises and his commitments to us is not because of us, our faithfulness, but his own faithfulness. Again, in Deuteronomy 7, God told Israel, Therefore know the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful. Folks, I love to put myself in Abraham's shoes or Abraham's sandals when I feel like my walk of faith is deja vu all over again. And as I've written there at the top of your notes, I stumble and I trip and I fall over and over again. And I promise it's never going to happen again, but it's the same temptation, the same sin. I'm walking in the flesh. I fail. Praise the Lord for his righteousness, his righteousness, his grace and his faithfulness to us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the instruction of the scripture by your spirit, Lord, informing us of the failures of great men of faith. Lord, this morning we lament our repeated offenses. I ask that you would 
Hold us fast that you would be faithful to us. May your mercies be new every morning so that we can live in victory as you sustain us. Lord, help us to ask the questions, where am I going? What am I doing? But then ultimately, who is God? For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.